with our, our study on the Lord's Prayer as we understand exactly what Jesus said and you know we are in Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 and so as we do that uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6 verse 10 understand exactly what Jesus says at this point and why he says it um, and here Jesus said uh, verse 9 this then is how you should pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done. And that's what this lesson is, as we started last week. Understanding why would Jesus say, your will be done, Father. Your will be done in this world, in this earth, as we stay here. What was it all about? And so, last week we compared, as we did this study, we compared uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, so that we could get an understanding of what the will of of man comes from where does it come from where does all the will that opposes God's will come from why would Jesus say father your will on earth and we're going to show you that every other will that is demonstrated in this world all of our individual billions of individual collective wills that is not the will of God comes from Satan that's it and I'm going to show you this through verses. We're going to put it all together. And I'm going to, as I do this, I'm going to also, as I try to wrap this all up, give you an understanding of what's taking place in Genesis, between Genesis verse 1 and Genesis verse 2, as we study all of these verses and we see God's will. God, God paints for us pictures. And we know that God doesn't tell us everything. Doesn't tell us everything, but he gives us enough that we begin to understand what his purpose is. And so what I want to do is I want to go back and reread Isaiah 14. Please, turn to Isaiah 14. I'm doing that so that people who weren't here last week have a context for this lesson. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, here's the deal. In Scripture, we will see often verses written that have multi-levels. The scripture is written in a multi-level way. You read it on one level, it appears to be about a, a, a thing on this earth, an earthly king. In this chapter 14, you will see here that Isaiah is writing about the king of Babylon uh, and uh, making prophetic statements about the king of Babylon. But suddenly, suddenly, it turns and the prophet is no longer speaking about the king of Babylon he is speaking about Lucifer, Satan, the morning star, the highest created being. So turn Isaiah 14, verse 12, and read with me as I read. Follow along in your Bible. How you have fallen from heaven. Obviously, we are no longer talking about an earthly being. We are talking about an angelic created being. How you have fallen from heaven O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. Please take your Bible and underline cast down to the earth. This is important. This is critical. This will be part of the study. Where was Satan sent to when he was thrown out of heaven along with one third of the angels? He was sent to earth. This is his world. This is his world. 
You wonder why the things that take place at Sandy Hook uh, School, you wonder why the acts of violence take place. Somebody told me in this morning's class, they're a Bible teacher, in one of the developments, they, they were ready to have 25 new students come to the class up in Pelican Marsh, and only six people showed up, even though the rest of them had already bought the materials. And she said, a godly woman, what happened? Well, the other people are, are upset at God because of Sandy Hook. They're upset at God and they don't want to study anymore because why would, why would they study about a God that did this evil? And you're going to see, as we've done over and over, it's not God that does evil. This is Satan's world. How many more times are we going to learn this? That's the essence of this teaching, that you go out of here without a doubt in your mind and who, where you are living. You are submerged in an ocean of evil. Amen. In evil. But God has given you a lifesaver, Jesus Christ. And so this is what this is all about. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and this is why he was thrown out of heaven. This is the seat of where his will comes from. This is the, the seed of your own will. All will that is not coincidental with God's will comes from here. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Notice the I, the I, the me, what I want, what I want to do, what I know, what I think. I'm good at certain things. Look, God, you're in charge of 80% of my life. Yeah, I'll give you 85, but I have the 15% that I know best. After all, I'm an educated person. I've been to college. I've been to graduate school. When I do things about my career, God, I know my career better than you do. I know what kind of jobs I should take. I know where I should move. I know what kind of people I should associate with. And there it is, the I, the I, right here, right here in the Bible, Isaiah 14. And what you get is disaster. At the end of the day, disaster. Your will is disaster. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. It's all about the individual will. The arrogance of raising your own individual will above God's will. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. You're sitting here listening to this. This is the actual colloquy that took place in the eons back between Satan and the other angels. You could see it taking place. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost height of the sacred mountain i will ascend above the tops of the clouds i will make myself like the most high and god says but you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit so you see what happens when your will effectively is not coincidental with the will of god turn now also to ezekiel 28 ezekiel 28 about 200 pages further back towards the New Testament. Ezekiel 28. Again, I'm doing this so that we get a context of understanding this lesson. Understanding why Jesus would say, Your will, Father, be done. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. And now again, if you read this passage, it appears in the beginning that he's speaking to, about the king of Tyre, a wicked king of Tyre. But clearly, the, the passage morphs 
into now the prophecy is about Satan, Lucifer himself. And so, speaking on verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre, really the power behind the king of Tyre, and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection. This is not about an earthly being. There is no earthly being that is the model of perfection other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was not an earthly being. He's God. But this was a created being, the highest of all created beings. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You had it all. Not only were you wise, but you were physically incredibly beautiful. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, who was in Eden? Adam, Eve, and Satan, the serpent. Okay? Let's understand what you're talking about here. Make no mistake about it. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want anybody to leave here misunderstanding what's going on here. This is very clear, and I want to make sure I lay it out properly. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, an emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. You just gleamed from every possible incredible stone. Can you imagine the beauty of this angelic being when you looked at him? The light must have just cascaded off him. On the day you were created, they were prepared, meaning these jeweled garments were prepared for him the day he was prepared. God elevated him, put him right there next to the throne of God. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. God himself made him a cherub, an anointed cherub. And you know that on the Ark of the Covenant, right, what was at the top, at the foot, and at the base? What was it? Cherubs. Cherubs. Guardian cherubs. The, the highest angelic beings. Cherubs themselves. Effectively covering, covering God himself, the anointed Ark of the Covenant. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You understand this is what heaven is like. Where, where the very streets cascade in light. And he's walking right there next to God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Oh, Lord. Blameless. Created without sin. Created perfect. The highest created angelic being till wickedness was found in you. And despite all this, despite all these talents, despite all these gifts, what happens? The arrogance, the pride comes in, the uplifting, I will, I will, I will. And not only did he sink himself, but he took one-third of the created angels with him in his rebellion. And we're going to speak about that. So you'll see it through verse 16. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. Meaning, in your goings and comings, you basically traded in evil, in violence, in corruption, wherever you went. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. 
Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you compared and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Underline this, please. Next verse. So I threw you to the earth. Where'd he go? To the earth. He came here. He came here. He is the sovereign of this world. When you see the Sandy Hooks, when you see the Columbines, when you see mass murder, when you see the most despicable of acts, he's there in every possible venue. He's there. By your many sins, so I threw you to the earth, I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trades, you have desecrated your sanctuary. So this is an important understanding of what we deal with here. Understand what's going on. And so this week, I intend to fill out the picture for you so you understand why the prayer of Jesus and the Lord's Prayer is so critical. We learned that Lucifer means shining one. That's the actual definition of the word Lucifer, shining one. Uh, and that's right out of, right out of a Hebrew uh, derivation of the word. He was the anointed cherub. We understand that cherubs are those most closely aligned with God. That's where they stand. But his own pride, his own arrogance, raising himself up, causing him to say that his will was superior to God's will. And that's the essence of this lesson. That you and me in our daily lives, when we deviate from God's will, when we decide to do certain things and go certain places and, and, and be with certain people and make decisions in our life, any number of decisions that we make that are not asked for God's guidance. I told you last week that my prayer is every time, God, open the doors that you want me to go through and close the doors that you don't want me to go. And more than close, and I now ask him to slam the doors in my face. Slam them. Slam them. Why? Because I'm too stupid to understand a partially closed door is not a door I should go to. See, if I see a door that's like two inches open, that's just an opportunity, right? That's just an opportunity. So I need God to basically slam the door in my face so I can't be confused. Now, here's what happens when you make that prayer and the doors get slammed in your face. Hmm, sometimes it hurts your feelings. <coughs> sometimes your feelings are hurt. Oh, God, why did you do that? Those people... That place, they were mean to me. They were mean, Lord. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve it. Yet you prayed, slam the door on my face. That means you shouldn't be there. That's not a place for you to be. And that's how God, you need to ask God to speak to you like this as you understand God's will. And so what I want to so show you now is we go back and understand where Satan came from, what his derivation was, how this all comes together in Genesis I'm going to tie a big package and hopefully put a bow on it. Turn to Revelations chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12. Now we know when we read Revelations, again like the other, other books in the Bible, it speaks on multi-levels, multiple levels. And in Revelations, not only does it speak about multi-levels, in the same area, in the same verses, you will speak about the past, about the present, and about the future. And only through the Holy Spirit, as we prayerfully ask God to, 
give us wisdom and instruct us, can we understand this? And so let's take this apart verse by verse. Revelations chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This, folks, I will tell you now, is Israel. This is Israel. This is the prophetic image of Israel. I will prove it to you after we read these verses. Verse 2, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Seven is the sign of perfection in the Bible. Seven. And so what you see is a perfect creation full of wisdom created, full of gifts created with seven heads and ten horns. And the ten horns emphasize uh, kings and sovereignty. All right? And sovereignty. Sovereignty of where? Here, earth, your world, sovereignty, here, his planet, and I'm going to demonstrate to you, and seven crowns on his head, indicating authority, power, ruling, right here. His tail, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Underline that. His tail swept. Swept, past tense. The verses now are now switched to the past tense, giving you a historical perspective. The dragon. And now you say to me, Brother John, but you just painted this picture of, of Lucifer as this beautiful, shining, gifted, orator, musician. Incredible in every way. But now the Bible is painting a picture of him as a dragon? Yes, because the picture of the dragon is showing, of the dragon, is showing the effect of his works, the destructiveness of his will, the desolation of his character. Yes, he appears as an angelic shining light, but he is the essence of evil, the essence of corruption in everything that he does. And so understand this. His tail swept past tense, past tense, a third of the stars out of the sky, stars out of the sky, Angelic beings are often, in multiple places in the Bible, referred to as stars. Often, out of the sky and flung to the earth. Flung to the earth. Underline, flung to the earth. Let's understand this. Not flung to space. Not in space, but to the earth. This is critical. So you're able to come to terms with what you see in this world. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a fantasy. This is not an imaginative uh, story. This is not an, Im uh, an image of somebody's imagination. This is an actual created being. The dragon himself flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. 
That's exactly right. That image is Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem, being born in a manger. The woman, Israel, giving birth to Jesus. Jesus coming out of the line of David, coming out of the Davidic line, made through the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus being born in Bethlehem and the dragon himself waiting above that manger to kill him. Do you ever think about the story of Bethlehem and the manger like that? This is, this is no story that you've really ever heard before. You think about the shepherds and the wise men and, you know, even though it's a, a very lowly setting, all the beautiful angels. Why do you think it was surrounded by angels? Because the dragon was there to kill Jesus on that spot. Just think about it. He kills Jesus on that spot. He short circuits God's plan to save this planet. You can just imagine if the hair on the back of your neck doesn't go up when you're reading these stories, then you know what? Then I'm doing a poor job. I'm doing a poor job. Somebody asked me in this morning's class, how do you get so up <laughs> at 8 o'clock in the morning? And I said, you know what? Jesus said it right when he went into Jerusalem. Do you remember when he said, and the people didn't cry out, if the people didn't praise him himself, who, who would have to do it? The stones. You read this, how can you say if some human being, if somebody didn't preach it like this, the stones would have to speak up? I mean, really, what a gift we have when you go back in time and understand what's going on here. I were humbled to see what, what, what this evil is that we are living in. We are swimming in a sea of evil controlled by Satan. And our lifesaver is Jesus Christ. And but for Jesus Christ, you're going down the drain. You're going down the drain. There's no other way to phrase it. There's no other way to phrase it. So dragon stood in front of the woman to devour her child the moment it was born, the moment, the instant it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the angel, all the nations with an iron scepter. Who is that, that child? Jesus. Jesus. But then you'll say to me, Brother John, I don't understand it. Jesus born with an iron scepter to rule all nations? Wait a minute. What happened to the baby in the manger? I'll tell you what happened to the baby in the manger. The baby in the manger grows up to become the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. And when he comes back, he's going to come back on a white horse in the second coming. And we all here in this room are going to be behind him. We're going to come back and he's going to rule with the iron of scepter. Amen? Amen? Every nation in the world, every knee will bow, every evildoer will be destroyed. He will rule with an iron scepter. I mean, this is an amazingly powerful picture as you see the creation of Satan and you see the, the juxtaposition of this to us and how it works. And so it's continuing on here. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And by the way, when he's tried to destroy Jesus, when he tried to devour him in the manger, let's understand something. Does Satan do things himself? No. No, he uses his partners. Us. He uses us. That's how he works. Us. Through our individual, collective, misguided wills. 
See, we raise ourselves up. You know, I could do it better. I don't really need to have God's will in this thing. This is an area that I'm perfectly expert at. I can make these decisions on and on and on. Well, so what does he do? He gets Herod. He gets Herod to do his dirty work. He inspires him. And let me tell you something. Herod gave a decree that every baby, right, under the age of two shall be killed. Imagine that. Someone speak. You're worried about Sandy Hook Elementary School? You think this just happened? The entire, every population of infants two years and under in the area of Bethlehem murdered, murdered by the King Herod. Why? Because of Satan. Because of Satan. You don't think that Satan was there inspiring him? And I'm going to tell you something else as we study this. Satan is in place at the seat of every world government across the globe, not just in communist countries, not just in Arab countries, not just in terrorist countries, in every single country in the world today, Satan and his demons are encased and encompassed right there at the seat of government. Make no mistake about it. And then you wonder why, why the world seems to be going down the drain. You wonder why, folks, there's no mystery. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And here it is. And so she continues here, devouring the child the moment it was, it was born. And so understanding what took place at the very eons of time. And this is what we're talking about now. Going back to the very eons of time, you see this, this laying out in which he revolted against God through his own will. Now, you'll say to me, well, you've interpreted the moon, the sun, and the stars as Israel, but what, what support do you have for that? Well, turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 37. And I'll show you exactly what my support is. And I would say this to you. Anytime you hear anybody speak about God, make sure they give you scriptural support. Because when we, when we deviate from scripture... And I give you my opinion. I'll tell you when it's my opinion. But my opinion is not God's word. And so you want to see what God's word is. Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. Let me give you the derivation of this. It's Joseph who God is speaking to, and he's given a dream. Joseph's given a dream. And now Joseph is conveying this dream to his father, Jacob. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The patriarchs, the three, three patriarchs. And now Joseph, one of 12 brothers, is now giving this dream that he just had to his father, Jacob. This is Genesis 37, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, does that sound familiar to you? The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. You just got done reading that in Revelation. Revelations, right? The sun, the moon, and, and the 12 stars. Well, the reason it's 11 here is that the 12th star is doing the speaking. All right? The 12 tribes of Israel. When he told his father, Jacob, as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Jacob got it. He knew immediately what that dream meant. There was no mystery. Can you imagine? Jacob, he tells him this dream about the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. His father didn't, didn't say, oh, I need, to, I need to think about this. He knew immediately. Obviously, he knew immediately. Are my and your brothers and your mother going to bow down to you? His brothers were jealous of him. Well, clearly what this meant was you're getting a historical picture of Israel. The patriarchs, the 12 tribes, that's exactly what the sun, the moon, and, and the stars are. So you see this, this picture indicating now that Israel, Israel would be saved from destruction through Joseph. Just like when we go back to Revelations, Israel... Again, the mother representing Israel would be saved from destruction by the child. By the child, by Jesus Christ. And all of this going on, all of this going on, uh, as you see this going on after, after the satanic rebellion and, and Satan is now thrown to earth. And so you see this, you understand you get a beginning to understand the depth of the issues that we face in this world, which is why our will has to be subjected to God. Our will has to be subjugated. Our will has to be submitted. We have to put our will and we have to take our will and we have to say, God, please help me to understand your will in my life. Conform my will, conform my desires so that my thoughts and my prayers, my wishes are in alignment with what you want. And so Isaiah prophesied that Israel would have labor pains and bring forth a male child. And by the way, just to understand so that you get confirmation of that, turn to Isaiah 66. Because I want to confirm, every time I say something to you, I want to show you where the support is for this. Isaiah 66. Verse 7. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such thing? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Underline the last sentence and I'll give you the answer. Yes, yes, yes. When Jesus was born in this world through Mary, representing Israel, yes, 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 a country and a nation were born in a day in which we are part of that nation. And so you see how it all comes together? Isn't this astonishing? I mean, isn't this unbelievable that you see 66 books of the Bible, over 40 different authors, over 1,800 years on three different continents, nobody knowing one another, writing in different time periods in different languages, writing, and yet you see over and over and over again 
God speaks to our heart. This is an amazing thing. That's why Bible study is so unbelievable. When you go and you study the Bible in a prayerful way, God speaks to your heart. I'm sure, yes, Curry, you had a question. In uh, 1948, the United Nations declared Israel. That's right. One day. One day. That's, and that's the, that's the physical aspect of that verse. Israel being declared a country in 1948. I read this verse not just in a physical sense. I read this verse in a spiritual sense. The nation of the saved, the country of the redeemed. Amen? That's how I view it. In a day. Born. Born that day. And so you understand, understand really the nature of what we see here and the nature of evil. The nature of evil. That's what this is about. That's what this, thy will be done. Why thy will be done? Why is Jesus asking God to have his will done? Because Jesus understands that we are surrounded in this most evil, most violent, most despicable place where Lucifer has sovereignty. And we face it. And so now I want to give you some verses that, under, that underscore this for you. Underscore this. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Yes, yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Now we're understanding exactly what we face. This is what we face. Verse 4. The God of this age. Notice, small g, God. Small g, God. You can put a footnote there. Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How do you like that? That's his job. That's what he does. He's here in his kingdom, ruling his kingdom, and blinding the unbelievers every day, so that when you come across people, whether they're in your family or your friends or your development or your golf club, and understand that you can't seem to speak to them about the Lord, they're blinded by Satan. That's what's going on here. Verse, next verse, 5. For we do not preach ourselves. We never preach about ourselves. We never speak about ourselves. We never use ourselves as examples. That's the last thing in the world you want to do, is use yourself. Bow your head in humility. There, but for the grace of God, would you be? There but for the lifesaver that he gave you, would you be? There's no difference between you and them other than the saving mercy of Jesus Christ. And I put myself right there in that same category. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, for God who said, let, line, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen? Amen. What a powerful verse. But I'm giving you this, and I'm underscoring the fact that this is why Jesus said, that Jesus said, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth. The way it's being done right now in heaven. The way heaven 
uh, works perfectly in accordance with your will, bring that premise, bring that operation to this evil orb where Satan resides and let that same will take precedence here. Oh, it's a powerful verse. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Okay, Gospel of John, John chapter 12. Uh, let's begin with verse 28. This is Jesus speaking now. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Underline judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Underline prince of this world. But when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so understand what Jesus is saying himself. Now, through Jesus' death on the cross, the very prince of this world, the very king of this world, the ruler and sovereign of this world, with one-third of the angelic beings cast down here, as demons, as fellow demons, populating every corner of this earth, all of them now, all of them are subject to judgment because of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Take, take a couple pages further on in John to John 14. John 14, verse 31. Actually, we're going to go back to verse 28. Jesus speaks here. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus tells you, he told his disciples, even before he went to the cross, he told them exactly what was going to happen. He told them why his death had to take place on the cross, why he had to sacrifice, be the perfect sacrifice, so that God would forgive us all and allow all of us here to accept Jesus Christ by faith, that lifesaver that God has given, given us. So that when I, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer. Underline the next part of this. For the prince of this world is coming. Coming where? Coming to destroy Jesus. Coming to kill him in the garden. Coming to assault him with all of the angelic beings that he had on his side. To bury and kill him 
right there in the garden so that Jesus, as he's sitting there alone when the disciples left him and couldn't stay with him and pray with him, as Jesus is in prayer and all of the combined forces of Satan are beating down on him, Jesus is actually perspiring blood. Blood. And this is a physically a known physical condition that when a human being is under incredible emotional stress, there are known cases where people actually perspire blood. It's an unbelievable condition. And so he's saying, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So understand the prince of this world, what we're dealing with, the power of Satan. That's an incredible understanding of this. Turn also to John, one chapter more, John 16. John 16, and I love how God speaks to us. God tells you something. He doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He says it over and over and over again until you get it. John 16, verse 11. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Amen? Amen. Understand what's going on there. Jesus going to the, to the cross, being crucified on the cross for our sins, was effectively the judgment of condemnation on Satan. Satan will be condemned. Satan will be bound up. When Jesus comes back and exercises the iron scepter, when he comes back for the second coming as the Lion of Judah, when he comes back on that white horse, and we come with him, the saints with him at that time, and we come back, there will be a judgment. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And, and you will understand exactly where what's happening as God's word comes together and fits together. And so, you know, as I continue this study of this, we'll continue it next week, but I told you, I told you that this fits in with the Genesis story because what I've told you here, what I've said to you here about this angelic revolt, about being cast down to earth, right? All that, you don't read that in the Genesis story, do you? You don't read that. Something's missing. It's not there. But Satan was there, which means that Satan was in this world, I believe, before the creation that's in this Bible right now, this creation. And so I'm going to continue this study next week so that when we read Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1, created. God creates. And I'm going to show you the verses that will support that. Created. What does creation mean? How does God create? And the second verse, and void was upon the face of the earth. I will show you and give you an understanding that you can, in fact, look at this Bible as extending back eons even before the creation. We'll talk about that. It's another way for you to understand this because what I'm giving you is I'm giving you an explanation of the old age, the old age earth. You'll hear today from a lot of evangelicals, the young age earth, people that believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. And so 
you're going you're to be able to hear that explanation. In fact, that explanation is going to be coming to the church because I saw that at the end of February, uh, Ken Ham, who is the director of the Creation Museum, is going to be speaking here in the church that weekend. And he's one of the spokesmen of the New Age theory, meaning that the entire world, everything that you see, all of the, all of the uh, animals and creations, including dinosaurs, all existed going back 6,000 years. Well, here's the deal, folks. I don't really care whether you believe new age or old age. All right? That's up to you. God doesn't tell us exactly. All right? I'm giving you a way to examine the scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You need to pray about it as you come to understand what God says. But I'll tell you this. Your salvation doesn't depend on whether the earth is 6,000 years old or 4 billion. Amen? And so don't get hung up. Don't get hung up on 6,000 or 4 billion. All right? I'm giving you, as I think a Bible teacher should give you, a proper perspective to understand how these things can, in fact, come together. And so I want to be fair and give you that as we put it all together. Let's close in prayer as we continue this study next week. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, Lord, that you've given us these words. Lord, these are your words. These are not a man's words. We've read your scripture. God, we are humbled when we see you tell us things time and time again, spanning thousands of years in the scripture. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that you've given us, for Jesus Christ, that even though we live here in this evil world, that we have this lifesaver. Lord, I ask you to protect these dear people wherever they go. Inspire them to be the kinds of Christians that lead others to you, Lord. Protect them and bring them back safely so that we can continue the study of your word. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.